Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Claire McKeever Burgett, and I serve as the Associate Director of the Academy for Spiritual Formation, an international ministry of the Upper Room. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. In this month's podcast, I have the honor of interviewing Beth Richardson, Academy worship leader, Upper Room Books author, and director of prayer and Upper Room worship life at the Upper Room. Beth has worked at the Upper Room in various roles, including editor of Alive Now and director of the Upper Room's website over the past 30 years. An Oklahoma native, Beth is an ordained deacon in the United Methodist Church and is a member of the Mountain Sky Conference. Beth holds a Master of Divinity from Vanderbilt Divinity School and a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology from Oklahoma City University. You can follow her writings at BethARichardson.com and JackTheScotty.com. The following conversation with Beth covers everything from academy worship to spiritual formation in a divided world, church, and culture, to geographical landscapes of faith, to how spiritual practice informs the writing and creative processes. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoyed talking with each other. We're glad you're here, beloveds. Listen on and enjoy. Well, welcome, Beth. Man, it's great to be here. Thank you. We're so glad to have you and to do this conversation. And, you know, full disclosure, you and I have offices right next to each other. So we talk like this, like, all the time, right? We do. <laughs> so deep. Lots going on. <laughs> uh, lovely little snippets that get us through our days, which is a beautiful thing. So we'll just begin today. I want to have a conversation with you about spiritual formation, sort of the geography of faith, um, what your creative and writing process looks like. And so we'll just kind of see where it goes and how it flows. But I think um, what we will talk about today will offer our Academy folks and whoever else is joining us uh, some beautiful wisdom. And I'm excited to see what comes of it. So let's begin sort of with uh, your geography of faith, your landscape of your faith. Um, You and I share a little bit of a geographical region in common. I'm from Texas, you're from Oklahoma, but what did the geographical landscape of your faith look like, Um, smell like, feel like in your memories and imagination? Yeah, um, growing up on the Oklahoma Plains, it's it's in my bones. The sky, I think mainly following the light. I, I find myself walking through streets in Nashville and looking up, and a lot of the year it's overcast here or hazy, and you can't see the sky. And so that watching for the sunrise and the sunset and the colors and the clouds and the blue, um, I guess it was several years ago I went to Oklahoma in March, and it was the first time I had been not for you know, a solemn occasion. And I walked out of the airport and the wind hit me. And and then this, the light was so intense. It was like, oh my gosh, where is this light in Tennessee? It's above the haze. And mm. uh, I feel like myself 
I can breathe easier when I'm on those planes. Um, and the other geographical spiritual home for me is in the mountains of, of Colorado, hmm. where we spent time every summer growing up. Um, my spirit soars in those places. Mm-hmm. You recently spent some time in Colorado, mm-hmm. right? In yeah. a family cabin? Yep, the family cabin up in Raymond, in Raymond, Colorado. Okay. And what were you what were you doing there? Tell us about that. Yeah, I was a uh, took a writing retreat. I'm working on um manuscript for the upper room. It'll be the uncluttered heart the lint version of the uncluttered heart. I have an advent okay. version. So I was working on this um, manuscript, and it was so lovely to be at the cabin all by myself. Um, there was a neighbor, couple cabins down, and he and I just texted each other. We, I think we saw each other like maybe three times. We would wave, and we were both in in that wonderful place of solitude. So that was such a gift to be able to be there a week and spend time riding and walking the canyon and watching the river and mm. seeing the sky. And it was such a, a, a gift to be able to be there. So what does your writing process look like? Um, that's a good question. Sometimes it just comes out like we call it a, a, at, at our household a plop. Sometimes a plop just comes out, and it's it's perfect as it comes out. Mm-hmm. There's no editing or anything. It's just there, you know. Right. Um, writing, you know, this is, I don't know, fourth or fifth book, and I have to go at that with my J part of my Myers-Briggs, the organizational kind, where I break the project down in pieces and just go through it, the next right thing, next right thing, next right thing. Right. So um, it's not as inspirational as when I'm writing for the blog or when I'm writing from the dog's perspective. Uh, that's that's my, those are my fun writing times is when the dog has a voice, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I was wondering, like what is your favorite kind of writing? Mm-hmm. Like what makes you come most alive? I think it's those those um, spontaneous things. Um, the a lot of the Celtic blessings that I wrote that are in the the book Christ Beside Me, Christ Before Me, I wrote actually while I was walking the dog because Jack the Scotty was so slow that I could type on my phone while I was walking and. Um, I guess you're not supposed to multitask, but you know it's it's better than yanking his leash trying to get him to go faster. He and I kind of had an agreement that I could type, mm. and he could sniff and look and watch as the neighbors um, came out of their house or their garage door went up. You know he had to know exactly what was going on everywhere. So so those were just really lovely times of being able to. See something and write. Mm. See this other thing and write. Um, and and I don't know. This may be just part of the geography, but I have um, I have this relationship with 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 nature. So when I got to the cabin, I had certain things I had to check out. Like I made the hummingbird food to make sure that the 
hummingbirds were there. I went down by the river to look for um, the shooting star, which bloom in June. I was there in August, but I could tell where they had been because the stalks were still there. They were all dead. And I have a shooting star that I've watched for a number of years that sometime this spring or last fall got washed away. But I found another one not too far away. It's this beautiful. You should Google Google this flower. Okay. The ones in the in the Colorado Rockies have pink blooms. Mm-hmm. And um, check out whether the wrens are building a nest, have babies, or are done. Um, there's a wren box on the cabin porch that my grandpa made. Um, and so sometimes they'll, you know, buzz your head if they're really feeling protective, you know. Yeah. And and it's this, so you know it's this um, descendants of the wrens mm. that were there when he built that box. Wow. There's a, um, there's a flycatcher there that are descendants of the flycatcher that my mom always called Lonesome George because his eye, he has an eye ring. Mm-hmm. His eyes, are they look so big um, that she would say, there's Lonesome George sitting in that tree. Wow. And so Lonesome George's great, 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 great grandbirds were sitting in the tree, and I said, hi, Lonesome George. Mm. So... They're, they're, those are, I don't know if that sounds weird or what, but that's kind of the way that I live in the world. Yeah. Well, and it's directly connected to your Celtic heritage, yeah, right? it is. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what the book, Your Celtic Blessings, The Christ Beside Me, mm-hmm. uh, came out of, right? Mm-hmm. So tell us, like, what's that family? I mean, can you kind of... I'll try to give you the short yeah, give version. Yeah, give us a short version, long version, whatever you want to do. Um, but, like, where does that come from? And I do believe, yeah, it's in your bones, mm-hmm. in your blood. Yeah, my mom's dad, uh, is the he was the storyteller of the family. And so we grew up hearing these stories. And we knew them all because we'd grown up hearing them. And, and it, at some point we decided we should record these. And it was like so easy because you'd start the recording and you'd say, Grandpa, didn't you go on a boat from South Africa to Ireland? And he'd say, I went on a boat from South Africa to Ireland. Then he would go on and he'd spin that story out. So anyway, his mom was from Ireland and his dad was from England and they both immigrated to South Africa and met there in the late 1800s. And um, then they found each other and got married and had three kids. My grandpa and his twin were the older two, and then they had a younger sister. And when grandpa was about 10 years old, his brother had broken his arm, and they needed a surgeon in England. So they got some gold from the bank, and they went on a ship to take him from South Africa clear up to England to have his arm operated on and turns out it was right at the beginning of World War One and by the time they reached England the doctor the surgeon had been drafted and they couldn't get back to South Africa because uh, civilian shipping had been banned so they went to visit Ireland they, yeah. they went to see his grandma in Ireland, and 
I don't know how long. They were there months because they couldn't figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. But they were there long enough for him to get to know his Irish roots and go to school there and get in trouble. Like they yeah. would they would find these baby goats and milk them, you know. Oh, God. <laughs> Those poor baby goats. I know. <laughs> they were 10-year-olds that got in a lot of trouble. So okay. they ended up, um, his dad decided that, Maybe they could go to the U.S. and visit some cousins there and get back to South Africa from here. And they had tickets um, for the Lusitania, which was a ship that was sunk on the way in Mm. uh, to where they were. Wow. And so by the time they got to the United States and went to Oklahoma to visit their cousins, the U.S. was in the war, and they were stuck here, and they stayed here. Yeah. So those 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 I saw that um Celtic way in my grandpa. Mm-hmm. His relationship to the earth, his relationship to um his love of of nature. He always had a big 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 garden. He was uh like the most positive influence in my life, I think, mm-hmm. just in terms of unconditional love modeling that in in all of his life yeah so um so it was so fun to write that book and i end up telling the long version of the story um and the things that i learned to him of the things that i learned from him about about my celtic roots john o'donohue's a was a poet and a philosopher and he said that we are all made of clay we are made of the mm-hmm. clay, the dust of, of the stars from the Big Bang, you know. Mm-hmm. And I realized that part of my clay comes from that soil of County Clare, Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of it's from that red dirt of Oklahoma. Right, all mingling, dancing together, yes, right? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So other than John O'Donohue, what writers, poets influence you? Who do you who do you turn to a lot? Henry Nowen. Yeah. He um he had this uh I guess he was here in Nashville speaking many, many years ago. He spoke at Scarrett. And one of the things that he said was what was it he said? Long before we were wounded by our family, by our church. Long before that, we were held beloved in the heart of God. He said it better than that. But mm. that, that sense of belovedness was something that I was able to hold on to during hard times, mm-hmm. during um, struggles and depression. That's the message that I want to share with the people that I'm with in the world, the yeah. people that I touch, that you, yeah. you, you are beloved. Yeah, you were knit together in your in your mother's womb. You were imagined by God hmm. long, long time ago. Yeah. You have a song. Oh, I do, don't I? That <laughs> sing, sings that to us. Maybe we can hear some of it in a little bit. Mm-hmm. I won't put you on the spot right now. <laughs> but it's a beautiful song. And yes, um, they always say that the best sermons are the ones we preach to ourselves. So yeah. I remember that when something really. You know, look and see sort of the common theme throughout 
the things I say or the things that I preach or the things that I write. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And my experience with you is that that is a constant refrain and every person you encounter, mm-hmm. you're reminding us that we are loved mm-hmm. and that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Tell us about how you came to know about the Academy and your two-year experience and how many moons ago was that and yeah, what was that like for you? I'd been here at the Upper Room for uh, a number of years um, and I had never been interested in the Academy because whenever I read the brochure it sounded like school and um, Jerry Haas uh, took me to lunch one day. It's always a dangerous thing if Jerry wanted to take you to lunch. You <laughs> wouldn't know what Beware. was going to happen. So he convinced me. He said, don't you want to like go someplace cool like, you know, Arizona? And so I went to a five-day in Arizona. Uh-huh. And I think Flora Woolner was one of the faculty. And I just fell in love with the model. Mm. I, it doesn't, the community aspect you can't write about that mm. in a brochure. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, uh, I guess it was in the spring of 2000, I joined uh, Academy 15 in its second week. Okay. And and finished with that group. Wow. And loved it. I went to, I think I went to one more uh, five-day there in California at Mercy Center, which is where I went through my two year, and um, and then I just have been yearning for it for a long time, and uh, I'm so feel so lucky and honored to be able to be leading worship at Academy now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, how did your experience with the five days and the two year shape your spiritual life? It gave me, it helped me find that hunger that I have for liturgy mm. and for for worshiping together as a community. Um, I that wasn't a part of my growing up at all. It was just you know Sunday worship, and got some of that here at the upper room. But being able to be in community with folks over over that week or over those two years and having that pattern of daily prayer just fed me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you mentioned the community aspect and it can't really be written about in a brochure and maybe since the time Jerry took you to lunch we've done a little bit better. Tons better. <laughs> of, of making it not sound so much like school but um, and there is that intellectual academic learning piece but we always say of course that um, it's not about sort of information but about transformation and so any of the the knowledge and wisdom that's shared we're hoping and praying that in uh, communion with each other and the spirit that there's this real transformation of mind body and spirit kind of taking place but um just wondering um what it looks like for you to be a worship leader at the academy and what, what that's been like for you. So you're leading at Academy 41, which is actually the academy that I'm getting to attend right now, which yes. is wonderful. And um, and yeah, so what's that been like? And tell us the truth. 
Tell us the truth. <laughs> well, I did. Um, I I tested it out with three different five days. Okay. In in northern right. Alabama, and and then I was invited to go on this team, and it is so fun, and it's so much work. Yes. And it, especially <laughs> for for I'm an introvert, so it's. Um, but you know, I've I'm just discovering that I'm the most me when I'm leading worship. And so getting to do this um, is just, it's wonderful. It's yeah. also, I'm also realizing that worship leading is, planning and leading worship is a, a form of spiritual direction. Oh. So I'm in a spiritual direction yeah. training program and I'm just kind of seeing how when, when those of us who put worship together um, do it well. We're reading what's happening in the context, what's going on in the world, what's going on in the community, and we're listening for the tools, the songs, the prayers that help become that container for for the spirit in that in that community yeah. of people. Yeah. So, in your wildest kind of dreams and vision, what do you think the academy and worship in particular at the academy might look like in the days and years to come. Mm. What are your hopes and dreams for that? I hope it keeps um, I hope it keeps growing and I don't know, diversifying is not the right word. I hope it keeps reflecting the world more mm. and more. Mm -hmm. And finding finding new music, finding new voices, um, really um, helping knit together the world as it is becoming yeah. um, in in that place. You know, I, I see our community in in our uh, academy weeks as you know we're not monastic, but we're there in this stable. Uh, or sometimes unstable place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and we are praying for and with and beyond on behalf of the world and the hurts of the world. So I really feel that those roots, those monastic roots for this week, where we're a little bit away from community or away from the culture and we are, but we're not shut out from it. Can I say that another way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it, it seems to be the nature of the contemplative life. I mean, Merton always talked about that, right? Oh, yeah, right. The further he went into solitude, the more connected with the world he became, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So there is something about getting quiet with God, getting quiet with ourselves, even getting quiet with each other, right, mm -hmm. that, that then helps us see the world as it is, love the world as it is, and then enter back into it with more loving eyes and heart and mm -hmm. minds and spirits. So that's kind of what I hear you saying. Yeah. What spiritual practices um, that come from the liturgy, that come from the academy, that, that come from ancient wisdom and years and years of our ancestors connecting with the earth and practicing these things, what keeps you grounded and, and what's, why does it matter? Mm -hmm. That's a tough one because I'm not 
very grounded these days. <laughs> I find myself um, drawing trees a lot. Yeah. With roots, with in fact, it's not there's not a lot of tree in the upper part, but there's just all these roots. So, I may have a spiritual Ooh. practice of drawing trees right now. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. I think just writing, writing what I see, um, being in the present moment is probably the most important spiritual um, tool that I have right now. Yeah. Because um, these days feels like we're in a, a wilderness, an exile. It, it feels like the ground is shift, shifting a bit under mm-hmm. under my feet. And so maybe that's part of the power of liturgy is coming together and worshiping and saying, hey, things aren't right in this world. And we know, you know, that things aren't right in this world. And yeah. help, you know, God help. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The balance between doxology and lamentation that, yes. of course, our dear friend Don Sellers is always reminding us of mm-hmm. and that we find in the Psalms, you know, which is one of our very ancient liturgies. Mm-hmm. Um, but holding the tensions of that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we do that well together in the academy. Yes. And, yeah, that's it, been such a – one of the gifts for me is that it's like, okay, we can sit next to each other in our rage, in our deep, deep sorrow, in our joy, and we can hold it together. Mm-hmm. That's pretty remarkable. It's for, amazing. Yeah, I know. It really is. It's one of those beautiful gifts. Um, so what practical advice uh, might you have for us as liturgists, as worshipers, as people who are trying to follow Jesus in a really messy world? I want to see love in, in other people, to see to see God in other people. And to uh, I think one of my recent desires is is to expect positive intent, to, mm. to not always think, oh, not maybe it's to get rid of that cynicism part of myself, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where I'm um, not seeing the bad before I see the good. I'm not very good at that because mm. um, I'm, a, I'm a little bit, I'm a six on the Enneagram, mm-hmm. so I'm very suspicious. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. So you sit down and draw trees mm-hmm. that help you stay grounded. You find the ways to write. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hear in that you sort of encouraging us to find our way, like what works for us. What works for us. And also, I guess the other tool I have is humor mm. and fun. If I'm not having some fun, then I need to take a look at what's happening. Yeah. So that's where the dog comes in, you yes. know. Yeah, tell us a little bit. So you and I, can I mention the anxiety elephants? Oh, sure. I mean, but <laughs> so that's one of your creative sort of outlets, right? Tell them about the drawing. Yes, and... I've been drawing purple elephants. Right. I love the purple elephants. Yeah, <laughs> so um, it's just, a, this is my newest um, coping mechanism yeah. besides the trees is purple elephants for what is needed. So there's a negative thoughts elephant that has a big trunk like a vacuum. Right. And it vacuums up the negative thoughts and mm. it 
at the other end comes out purple crystals. And it's perfect. It's beautiful. <laughs> there are dancing elephants. There's, I've, I've been making custom elephants custom elephants for what people need. So mm. you'll have to let me know what you're needing. Yes. So I just wonder as we close our conversation today, if you might have a blessing for us. Sure. Can I sing to you? I would love that. All right. Yeah. You are my beloved, on you my favor rests. Before you were imagined, I held your heart in mine. You are my beloved, for you my love grows deep. Before Behind, within you, I live, and you are mine. You can find Beth's books by visiting the Upper Room online bookstore at bookstore.upperroom.org or anywhere books are sold. And again, you can read more of Beth's writing at betharichardson.com and jackthescotty.com. I am grateful for Beth's witness and work in the world, not only because she's a colleague, dear friend, and academy worship leader, but also because people like Beth make the world a kinder, more gentle place. And I think we can all agree kindness and gentleness are in great need everywhere. So gratitude to Beth for joining us today and for continuing on the journey of the Academy as we seek to create together transformative spaces for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. Our work is better because of people like Beth. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides like Beth Richardson, join us at the next short-term or two-year academy. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org.